I invite you guys to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And as usual, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one after our church service today. So you can stop by the bookstore in the back, and uh, Amber will hook you up with one of those. Um, Or you can download one of the Bible apps for free. But Romans chapter 8. So uh, my classes started again at Phoenix Seminary, and on Monday morning I was up by the seminary uh, early in the morning. uh, As the sun was rising, I was doing uh, work for my classes, and I happened to have one of my big seminary textbooks out on the table, you know. I feel real cool when I put those things out and intimidate people with large words like systematic theology. Um, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Nobody knows what any of that means, usually. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, this young man walks up to me, and uh, a little younger than me, he, he comes over, he points out uh, the seminary book to me, and he starts asking me questions about why I'm reading it. You know, that, that, again, that's not the typical reading that you see somebody doing at Starbucks. And the next thing I knew, I found myself in this very warm conversation with this young guy about theology. And again, sort of not the... Th- the type of thing that you expect when you wake up in the morning. Um, I'm 30 miles from home. It's not quite sunrise yet. And here's this complete stranger talking about theology. And uh, I was really enjoying myself. And um, this guy proceeded to explain to me that he had grown up with a certain theological perspective and had recently found himself exposed to a different theological perspective. And so our conversation sort of wound around these two different ideas as we talked. And after about 20 minutes or so, he got up, he left for work, and um, I completed a few more assignments, was there for another hour and a half or so. And then I took the headphones out of my ears to uh, pack up my stuff And this lady who was sitting at a table next to me kind of leaned in and said, excuse me. And so uh, we started talking, and she proceeded to tell me that she'd been sitting there listening to our conversation as uh, me and this other guy had talked, and she wondered if she could ask me a few questions. Of course, I said yes, and she went on to explain that she was a Christian. She was visiting her mother in Phoenix. She lived in Boston, and she went to a church back there. Uh, But she told me that the conversation that she had overheard with this young guy kind of stirred in her a nagging concern that she had had for many years. And at this point, she, um, she actually seemed somewhat offended. And she told me that her Christian background, her theological background, didn't allow her to have any sort of certainty when it came to the issue of salvation in her life. And she believed that she could never be sure that her heart actually belonged to God. And so in other words, you know, this woman was telling me that she had spent the majority of her life, at least the latter portion of her life, pursuing Jesus, loving Jesus, but never certain that God really loved her. And never certain that at the end of her life she would be in heaven with God for eternity. She hoped she would. And she was more... Uh, confident that she would be there than she wouldn't be there, but she wasn't absolutely sure. And the reason why she was offended and, and curious was because she heard me say to this young man with confidence, maybe even I would say what she interpreted as arrogance, that I was absolutely positive that when I died, I would be with God in heaven for all eternity. I was certain of my eternal salvation. And she heard me say to this guy that my theological perspective in the matter of eternal security was that those who surrender their life to Jesus as Lord can never lose the salvation that God gives them. And I could see that she was both upset by my level of confidence, but she was also envious 
that I had such a high level of confidence. And she could tell that I had in my heart this peace in my relationship with God that she didn't experience herself. And I think it's amazing that I had this conversation on Monday of this week because I was already planning this message to talk about this topic uh, on this date. And this woman was really sort of the picture of fear and insecurity that many Christians have because they don't believe, they don't know for certainty that once they give their life to God, they belong to Him for eternity. And she was pretty much the picture of insecurity that I wanted to weed out in Maricopa Springs today and hopefully destroy, okay? So we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, and we're going to talk about what it means to have real life in Jesus Christ. And I want to present to you my belief in what the Bible says regarding the certainty of eternal life for those who've surrendered their life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, okay? And I hope to persuade you and encourage you to press on in your pursuit of Jesus because the fact is that he has won your eternal salvation through the blood of his cross. And I wholeheartedly believe that the Bible tells us that we can be certain of our eternal destination with God. And I believe that that certainty can give us great joy and peace and hope and contentment in this life, not anxiety and fear. So let me pray, and then let's look at Romans 8 together. God, we thank you for your church. We thank you for these believers who sit, by side, sit side by side with us, and these believers in other parts of the globe who love you and pursue you, who stand for you who enjoy you, who glorify you. And God, we thank you for a church, a place to come and worship and to honor your name. And we just give you praise for your goodness, for your grace. We give you praise that you are eternal God, that you are a great Savior, that you are our hope and our salvation. We thank you for your kindness to us, all of the wonderful things that you bestow upon us, the joys of this life the family, the friends, the work opportunities that we have. We just give you praise for how good you are and how gracious you are. And God, I pray this morning that you would impress on our hearts the truth of security in your son, Jesus. And God, if there's any people in this room who don't share this theological perspective, I pray that you would open their ears to hear this word this morning. And may we be encouraged to love you more for what it is that you have done for us through Jesus. Amen. All right, so again, we're in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses uh, 38 through 39. And uh, I, I think Romans 8, chapter 8, has to be one of the, the, uh, the best chapters in all of Scripture. But there's probably several hundred of those. Um, all right, Romans 8, 38 through 39. The Apostle Paul writes, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to read that again. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. (laughs) Right? I can just sit down. We can be done. 
Um, the first thing that I want to point out, though, because I do want to, I, I do want to make some mention of a few things here. The first thing that I want to point out is who do these words apply to? Okay, Paul tells us in the last part of verse thirty-nine. He says, "Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord." So who is the us? Who is included in this group to which Paul is referring? And who then is excluded? Well, Paul is writing to Christians in the city of Rome. He's writing to the church, much like our church. He's writing to the body of believers in order to explain to them in this wonderful book of Romans the mystery of salvation and justification, God's grace in Jesus. And Paul's writing then to Christians, to those who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And it's important that we understand then that when Paul says nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus or or from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, because of his audience, some people are included in the us and some people are excluded. And for Maricopa Springs Family Church, this means that we can apply these words to our church body, to the church, to everyone who is a part of our church who believes in Jesus for salvation. So, great news, we are a part of the us that Paul is referring to, so long as we've been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, this may seem rather obvious to you, but it's important for me to point out here Because one of the ways in which Christianity is sort of being hijacked these days in our modern times is through this idea that God loves everyone so much that he will not hold people accountable for their sins. And it is true that God loves everyone, but that does not mean that everyone is included in Paul's us here in Romans chapter 8. The fact that God loves everyone does not guarantee that all people cannot be separated from the love of God. And indeed, the Bible tells us that some people will spend eternity separated from the love of God. And this is a place called hell. And the really, really awful thing about hell is that, you're, that you are eternally separated from the presence of God and the love of God for all time. Now, because God has an enemy named Satan, the truths of Christianity are always under attack. And there's one attack that's grown in popularity today that overemphasizes the love of God and asserts that all people fall under his love because he is a loving God. And this is false. Because Paul tells us right here what is required to come under the loving care of God. What brings us into the tender love of God in our lives? It's the very last phrase in these verses. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the only way that we receive the eternal, incomprehensible, unstoppable love of God is if we are in Christ Jesus the Lord. Apart from Christ, you do not have the love of God for eternity. And in fact, to say that at the end, God loves all people, even the ones who do not worship Jesus, is really to make God into a criminal child abuser, a shameful God. Okay, Because if God could love all people apart from the blood of Jesus, 
And God still then sent his son Jesus to die for you and for me. To die on the cross. Then the sacrifice of Jesus was absolutely unnecessary and useless. And so God sent his son to die on the cross for the sins of mankind for no reason at all. And that would be a heinous act, a terrible act, a shameful God that we worship. If God can love people apart from the sacrificial atoning death of Jesus on the cross, then God never should have caused Christ to die, to be crucified, because his death was meaningless. But the truth is, God did send his son to die on the cross so that any who believe in Jesus could know the unsurpassable love of God. And apart from Jesus, we remain under God's wrath and God cannot love us in eternity because he's provided a way for us to enter into his love, but we have rebelled and chosen not to seek Jesus for that restoration and that salvation. And I want this to be really clear in our church, and here's why. It's a fictional scene, but I imagine a scene someday when I die, and I'm taking the hike up to the pearly gates, right? And on my way, I pass someone who attended Maricopa Springs Family Church, heading the other way. And in sadness and in utter despair, they tell me that I gave them this false hope for eternal salvation. How? Well, Grady, because you talked about God's love. And I assumed from your words, Grady, that God's love covered me, even though I never knew Jesus personally. And I would be broken. It's a fictional scene, of course, but I would weep because it would reflect poorly on me that I lacked the courage to tell people the truth that is in Scripture. The eternal love of God only falls on those who look to Jesus to be saved, who place their faith in Him. And all over the place in America right now, there are churches giving people false hope by talking about the winsome and beautiful love of God that's very attractional, favorable. They talk about it and they talk about it and they talk about it without ever making it clear that until you come to Jesus and surrender to Him, you are under the wrath of God. And it's not, please understand, My talking about this is not that I desire to withhold the love of God from anyone by talking about the wrath of God. Quite contrary. I want everyone to have God's love, which is why I want this to be so absolutely clear, crystal clear. The only way that you have the love of God is through Jesus. So, here's the invitation. Come. Come to Jesus. Receive that grace and that love of God. Join the us that Paul talks about in Romans 8 so that nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God. Come as a broken and weary sinner just like everybody else who came before you, like me and the others in this room. Come as a sinner and leave righteous, redeemed, justified through the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, all who do not call upon the name of the Lord will be lost. And so who is the us that cannot be separated from the love of God? It's all of us who have believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you're being offered that same forgiveness here today if you've never taken advantage of that gift. If you don't already have it, Scripture tells us, simply call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
And I believe the Holy Spirit will lead you into what that means. But the next question I want to answer is how? How does God love us? What does the love of God look like? Where do we find it and how do we experience it? Well, again, we look at the end of these verses. The last phrase in verse 39 says, Nothing in creation, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves us in and through Jesus Christ the Lord. Paul tells us just a few chapters before in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what that means is that the love of God manifests itself in our lives through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this truth, I believe, has healing power for all kinds of painful experiences, difficulty that we encounter in this life. How so? Maybe recently a loved one who was precious to you died. And in this season of grief, you wonder why God is withholding his love for you. It's so real and so raw and so painful and you wonder, where is the love of God in this experience? Or maybe you're in a tough financial situation and the difficulty of this season as you've been going through it leads you to believe that God is angry with you and he is keeping from you his love. Or maybe your health is poor or a very significant relationship in your life has broken down or your career has stalled out or you can't find that job and your family is struggling as a result. Maybe in the midst of one of these hardships, you're beginning to believe that God doesn't love you. Because if he loved you, he would take it away. He would change the circumstances. He would relieve the pain. He would alleviate the suffering and make it less hard. But he doesn't. And the circumstances continue. And so you're beginning to doubt his love for you in this season. And I want to tell you, those emotions are understandable. Read Psalms, even David. A man after God's own heart wrestled with those feelings. Your experience of this dark night of the soul, it makes sense. Your fear, your doubt, your loneliness, your suffering in wondering where God is in the midst of your present circumstances, this feeling like his love is being withheld, it's understandable. It's natural. But what I think you need to hear this morning is that in all of these different types of situations, God's love for you remains constant. It is there. He has not withheld his love from you. He has not removed it. He is not angry at you and punishing you. He has not abandoned you to this darkness. And the way that you can know that for certain is because the love of God has come through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And while we were enemies of God in love for us, God sent his son Jesus, who died on the cross to save us from the darkness of sin and evil and despair. And it was love that motivated God to send his son to die. And it was love that motivated Jesus to climb the cross to shed his blood for you on Calvary. And in the midst of whatever darkness you may be going through, when it seems impossible to find God and we question his love for us, we doubt his presence in our lives because it's difficult to experience it. 
I want to remind you that it's then in those moments that we can look to the historical fact of the cross to see that in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has proved his love for us for all time. We see with certainty that our God loves us in Christ. Last summer, uh, a friend of mine, Josh, came and spoke at our church. Maybe you are here and you remember him. Young guy with blonde hair in his early 20s. And his mother has uh, been battling cancer for years. And I just saw Josh last week. Um, I asked him just for an update on his mom. And with tears welling up in his eyes, he told me that on Christmas Eve she died. So you and I were celebrating our families, hopefully experiencing joy, and, and he was going through this pain. And at first, I, I had nothing to say. I'm, I'm talking to him in this hallway, you know, and I have nothing to say. And I just, I just reached out. I just gave him a big hug. And then he told me the whole story of kind of her slow demise as cancer just destroyed her body inch by painful inch. And this is one of those tragic stories that nobody should have to tell, let alone a young man Josh's age, and, and his mother just had the worst experience with cancer that you could imagine. A really gruesome tale of a boy watching his mom slowly eaten alive, basically, by this horrible, horrible disease. And as he's telling me this story, I'm, I'm noticing that in the midst of all of the pain and all of the suffering that he's been through, there's light and hope in this story, too. Because he goes on to tell me that in the midst of, his can- of her cancer, Josh's mom told him that she would never give up on Jesus. That she would never abandon her faith in him and she would never cease believing that God loved her even as she suffered as much as she did. And I could see on Josh's face this, this sort of peace in the sense that he believed too what his mom had told him. And Josh believed that God's love for him in the midst of his darkness was like his mother's. It wasn't there because the pain was easy to deal with. It didn't help him feel warm and fuzzy. It wasn't uh, a band-aid on this gushing wound. Josh, along with his mom, believed that God loved them because God had already proven his love for them in the crucifixion when Christ Jesus our Lord died for our sins. Christ, whose body was destroyed inch by painful inch as he was beaten and then mocked and then nailed to a cross. Josh and his mom believed in God's love because Jesus not only died, but he rose again on the third day like he promised he would do. And in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we find is the manifold love of God proven beyond a shadow of a doubt for those of us who believe in him. And God loves you. God loves you. It is true. He loves you through his son, Jesus, who died for your sins so that you might never be separated from the love of God forever and ever and ever and ever. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can death separate us from God's love? Death which separates us from our families, separates us from our bodies, separates us from the future and our past, our memories, our life. 
Can death tear us away from the love of God? No. Because Jesus has conquered death. Can life in all of its fullness, all of its joy, all of its temptations, all of its brokenness, can life with all of its pleasures and all of its pain ever take us away from the love of God? No. Because Jesus in his resurrection is the source of all true life. And so whether we live or whether we die, we are secure in the love of God through Christ Jesus. Can angels, with all of their beauty and all of their power, tear us from the love of God? Can the demonic rulers of this age, given authority for a time in our world, the powers of Satan with all of their fear and terror, can they keep us from God's love for us? No. Not even these powers, far beyond our own, are capable of driving a wedge between us and God. Can the troubles of today, the shame and struggles of the present, keep us from God? Can the future, with all of its uncertainty, keep us from God's love? No. Not even time, which wears down all things and eventually grinds them to dust, not even time can triumph over the great love of our God for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can powers and governments, can religious oppression, can atheism or the pressures of secular, uh, secular society ever extinguish God's love for us? No, never. No system of sin or man can ever sever the love of God from us. Will the height and immensity of the physical universe ever allow us to be beyond the reach of God's love? Will the depths of the loneliness of our souls ever build walls strong enough that God cannot break through them to bring His love? No. If we go to the heights of heavens or the depths of despair, even there the love of God will find us. And just in case we've left anything out, just in case any unaccounted for thing with power and authority has been overlooked, let us add that not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing shall overcome the love of God that holds us secure in His hands. So how's that for eternal security? Can you be sure of God's love for you? Can you know without a shadow of a doubt that God has destined your eternal soul for His kingdom for all eternity? Well, after we read these verses, do we dare doubt the love of God for those who believe in Christ Jesus? No, no, never. I should hope not. But I still don't think we've fully satisfied the question that the lady asked me in Starbucks. We may be sure of the certainty of God's love, but how can we be sure that we cannot lose it? I remember my dad telling me that when he grew up, he went to a church and they said that if you're in a movie theater when Jesus comes back, he ain't coming in to get you. (laughs) You're just done. So how can Paul be so sure when he writes these words that he can't do something to be beyond God's love? Well, I think again the key is found in the words in Christ in verse 39. Again, So much power in two simple words. And to shed some clarity on what that tiny little phrase means, I want to put 1 Corinthians 30 up on the screen for you. All right. And because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, 
who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And here we have that same small phrase, in Christ. And what this verse tells us is that we are in Christ because of God. Christ has come to be our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. And we are in Christ because God has placed us in Christ. So that we can boast about what we have done? No. But rather so that we can say, look what God has done in my life. So we have wisdom from God through Christ. We have righteousness through Christ. We have sanctification through Christ. We have redemption through Christ. And all of that is because God placed us in Christ. And see, the lady in Starbucks, she was concerned that maybe she wouldn't make it. She was afraid that she might lose what she had found. And that's a logical and understandable concern, isn't it? If you think that you belong to God because of something that you have done, then it's not a far step to say, well, maybe there's something that I could do that would cause God to say, well, I no longer want you in my presence. Maybe there's something you could do in the future to be out of Christ if you did something in the past to be in Christ. But if you boast in what God has done, if you trust that you are in Christ because of God, if Jesus is your righteousness and sanctification and redemption, and even if your faith in Him is a gift from God, then it goes without saying that no power can supersede the power of God from which your status in Christ comes. No power on earth, no power in heaven. And the lady in Starbucks was convinced that she had done something to merit the favor and love of God, which logically necessitates the belief that she could do something to make God upset and then lose his favor. But Paul, Paul seems pretty clear that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not death or life or angels or rulers, not the present or the future or powers, not even us. Which leads me to believe that I am in Christ because God gave me this wonderful gift. Not so that I would boast about what I have done, but so that I would boast about what God has done for me. And see, ironically, this lady, she thought I was kind of arrogant to feel so certain about my eternal salvation. She thought I was saying, I'm confident that I'm good enough that I will never do anything that would upset God. And so she thought I was cocky. But the truth is, when you really look at it, her position is far more arrogant than mine. Mine is honest and humble, I think. And this lady was super nice. I'm not, I'm not bashing her. I could see that what, when we talked, the gears were turning and she was, she was wondering. But she's arrogant because she believes herself to be more powerful than God, at least subconsciously. She believes herself to be potentially more powerful than death or life or angels or rulers, things present or things to come, powers, heights, depth, and everything else in all creation. Because she believes that she has the power to walk away from God when Paul clearly says here in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so if you look at it, her position is quite arrogant. She doesn't believe that God can hold her because she could potentially screw it up. 
Now, on the other hand, I, I admit I have nothing to boast about. God in his great love and mercy and grace has bestowed upon me the gift of faith and he has ushered me into his love through the work of Jesus on the cross and I've done nothing and he's done everything. Okay, you get it, I think, I hope. So what? What does it matter? What's the difference, really? Grady, you just spent 30 minutes talking about this. Who cares? You need to stop reading these theology books. No, it makes all the difference in the world. And there's two quick points of application I want to give you. First of all, some of you, I think, live your life under this great cloud of fear, even as Jesus has promised you that his love casts out fear. And you wonder if you're doing enough to continue in God's love. You wonder if you're growing fast enough, loving deep enough, praying hard enough. You wonder if you deserve it. You wonder if you have the endurance to run the race and you wonder if you, you, you have this nagging feeling in the back of your mind that maybe, just maybe, someday you'll, you'll do something that will cause you to not make it. And let me first affirm your fears and then annihilate them because you won't make it on your own. By yourself, you could never make it, which is why Jesus came for you. For you. Through the love of God in Christ Jesus, you have already made it, even though you are not quite there yet. Because Jesus has secured your salvation for you. When you put your faith in him, he paid for all of your sins, past, present, and future, for all time. And you belong to him. He has bought you with his blood. And scripture tells us perfect love casts out fear. So let your fear be cast out, not because you have perfect love for God, but because God in his perfection loves you perfectly through Jesus Christ. Isaiah says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. So I encourage you, trust in the security you have in Christ and don't be afraid. Second point of application for those of you who want to grow. Because I want to grow in Christ-likeness. And from time to time I find myself discouraged at my slow progress because of just how pathetic my efforts are. And I, I really long to love God more. And I long to have a heart with a greater capacity to love God, filled to the brim with love for Him and overflowing into the lives of those around me. But it is Christ Jesus who is my sanctification. It is Christ Jesus who will grow me. It is Christ Jesus who keeps me in the love of God. And I labor alongside of him. I till the soil. I seek him first. I surrender my life to him. But even the growth is a gift. Even the sanctification comes from Christ through the Holy Spirit. And my growth ultimately is his. And we have this wonderful promise in God's word that God who began this good work in us will carry it all the way to completion in the day that Christ Jesus returns. And so true life is found in the security of Jesus Christ, 
who begins this good work, who carries it forward, and who completes it for his glory. And so Maricopa Springs, my friends, my family, let us rest secure in him and also labor tirelessly knowing that we cannot fail because nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this incomprehensible love. I pray for the people in this room right now, God, who are struggling to feel and to know your love. And I pray that you would break through that darkness and you would reveal to them just how great your love is, proven through your son Jesus, who died on the cross for their sins and salvation. God, would you break through that darkness and show them that light. And God, for the rest of us who are are feeling your love, who are walking in your love, who are experiencing it from day to day, may we be absolutely sure and confident that we have surrendered our lives to you as Lord. And because of that surrender, you are our God. You hold our hearts for all eternity. And may we be confident in that. May we be people who live without anxiety. May we be people who love you passionately, not in an effort to earn your approval, but in an effort to worship and praise you for your grace. And we thank you for your grace. Amen.